Record Collections and Recollections. Out of the Box with Mia Hull on FBI Radio. You're listening to FBI Radio 94.5 DAB, or if you're streaming online, a big thank you to Eddie Diamond for taking good care of you today on mornings. My name is Mia Hull. This show is called Out of the Box, and for the next hour, you'll hear me chat to Donny Benet about the life he's had, the music he's made, and the music he loves. Donny, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I want to talk about the origin of Donny Benet, because that's not the name on your birth certificate, <laughs> is it? It's not, no. It's a very um, long and convoluted story. I'll try and uh, shorten as much as possible. I moved to Sydney from country in New South Wales, the Southern Highlands, and uh, was a bit of a country boy, drove a hot Ford Escort panel van, and I was a double bass player studying jazz, and uh, my car always broke down. And I was always had the bonnet, so some early friends I made kind of called me Donny the Italian Mechanic, and um, it just stuck. And then it became Donny Bennett for some reason. And then I had a friend who was really into Eric Benet, and I was like, that's a really good surname. So I nicked that, and it just it was basically, uh, gosh, came out from MySpace days. So it was from a band breakup called Triosk. And then I continued make, trying to make a kind of cosmic solo electric bass, uh, electric bass, double bass kind of loop ambient record. And um, started writing some tracks for one of the ex-members of the band when he was on tour. And Donny Benet was born. That MySpace account still <laughs> exists to it. Uh, Donny Benet's Google search. Yeah. <laughs> when you look it up, your MySpace account comes up and you've got five songs on there. Really? Um, yeah. What songs are they? <laughs> They were from the 2011 record. Oh, right. Yeah. Wow. I do want to talk about the decision to make that new record under mm-hmm. the name Donny Benet and not mm-hmm. your actual name. Why, mm-hmm. why did you make that split? Um, I put the stuff up on MySpace kind of as a, not a piss take, but when I was in the jazz kind of scene, jazz community in Sydney, um, everybody had a MySpace account and they'd put up like, it got really sporty and like who had the most gigs, it was a real jock macho kind of like oh, really busy so I just I liked poking shit at that so I put up kind of that account with the music I had on there because I'd to that point I'd played with kind of everyone in Australian jazz and like climbed the jazz mountain to the pinnacle so I was pretty bored and I was happy to poke fun at myself that way so um <clears throat> uh, and when you say you're poking fun at yourself what mm-hmm. about the account makes it funny Older people like myself um, have grew up on the internet in a much different way. Uh, it was everything was a piss take. Like I remember my friend getting the internet when we were thirteen, and all that was on the internet was porn and jokes, and that was it. And, and you know it was so everything. Any time you had, and we also came from that time of playing like arcade games where you'd have to put in like a three-letter name, so you'd you know make really weird uh, nicknames for yourself or just really. I think at one point I was on like a um, bicycle forum and my nickname was Ass Man from Seinfeld. Nice. So that was kind of how, like, when you had to put your approach, like, could you imagine, you know, being, um, I guess kids, is, you know, kids, I kind of sound old. There's still irony there, but, you know, 
you're not doing it, you weren't taking it seriously like it would have been amazing to be this age and and start an instagram account and you know put the avatar as ass man and yeah i mean you still can you still can i don't know <laughs> i but I, we we that's the spot that's the, the space i came from back then um so the chance to put something on the internet and it was that thing of like i'm just trying to think when that all happened it was like everybody could have like when youtube came up everybody could be on tv if that makes sense like it was like it was a really big deal to have something recorded from music or video filmed or something and all of a sudden you can do it on your phone so like i guess there was a whole lot of uh piss taking going on at that time so yeah i i don't know why and it also i guess my sense of humor and i guess cheekiness came through that so when everybody was doing their serious myspace accounts i wasn't it's 2011. What would someone clicking on that account find who's never seen it before? What kind of persona was there? What kind of music would, would they find there? Well, the persona was, I was thinking about when I was writing some notes for this interview, I was thinking about how did I get to that persona? Like it really was a, and I was chatting to my wife about this the other night. Um, what was the intent behind it? And where I'm living now is um, kind of like southern... Sydney, not quite the Shire, but near, there's a suburb called Riverwood, which has an Italian wedding place called the Concordora Lounge. And as a kid with my half Italian background, I went to a whole bunch of Italian weddings. And um, I always, my two brothers and my father are musicians. And so, you know, we always, they'd be like the Concordora house band, they called it. It was, and we'd, you know, watch them and they were really good. Like they were kind of almost like fusion musicians playing this really daggy Italian music. And the thing I liked about the guy that was a singer was, he always carried on like he had, he was worth a million dollars and then he was the world's greatest lover, just oozing class. and, and But it was also very like, it wasn't crass or vulgar. Um, I think conversely, on the other way, my father was a musician playing in Wollongong um, in the 70s and 80s and around the Southern Islands as well. And he'd do like the Goulburn town dance or whatever and he just said it was pretty, it got pretty messy. Um, so it was like, I kind of like that about the the Italian, I mean, I'm going to a wedding, so of course it's safer, but it was like something nice and cheeky about it. And so that kind of, my interpretation of entertainers came out from there. And like, you know, you think of, they're all try, they're like being cheap versions of Tony Bennett and Frank Sinatra. And, and so it was like kind of incorporating that into like, uh, I think at the same time as well, I discovered like some Georgia Moroda. I was always into funk. And so just kind of making these weird amalgamations of, of all that, this weird character that like, I don't know. And I thought if I saw somebody up on stage acting that way, playing that music, I'd think it was really interesting. I think to a certain extent, everyone kind of has a different hat that they wear in different aspects of their life. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you wear the same hat to different places. And I'm wondering <laughs> if the Donny Benet hat only exists on Donny Benet, or if that kind of leaks into different parts of who you are. Oh, it, 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 it's it's weird because the line is blurry sometimes. Yeah. Um, I'm a pretty cheesy guy. Um, I poke fun at myself. I mean, even uh, coming to grips with going bald at an early age, I just didn't give a crap anymore. I was just like, and I remember um, where was I was in a suit shop, one, a dress shop one day with my wife and she was trying something on and the shop assistant was this gorgeous like Eastern European woman and she's like, I love your haircut. It's very sexy. I was like, oh, thank you. And I was like, no, what did she say? It's very bold. And I was like, oh, that's a good way of putting it. I don't know, like Donnie's, the character of Donnie is like this romantic, you know, sloppy romantic guy that cooks and, you know, is a good listener and like, 
I do all the cooking. Um, I, I pride, I love, not because it's like, I just love cooking and I love something my nonna did. She just loves seeing people get joy from eating the food she created. I was saying this last, that's my wife, like, um, I do all these really weird things. Like, I like driving an old car. I'll do something twice as hard just because it's different. It's, and I don't know why. I was saying to her, it's so stupid. I don't know why I do it this way. I'm really proud of, we went to Italy and I found, became friends with the shoemaker in this small village in Tuscany. And every year, um, I'd get like some birthday money and I'd get him to commission him to make me a new set of shoes. And I just kindly said, finally said last night, they're really uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) But but then she's like, so it's like wearing high heels. I'm like, yeah, but they look really good. And I like the story behind them. So it's like all these weird things that someone like Donnie would do kind of bleed over in that way. Um, If that makes any sense at all. (laughs) No, no, it makes a lot of sense. And it, it seems like from what you're telling me that Donnie is kind of informed by your early life as well, which I do want to touch in in a few (coughs) minutes' time. But first, I want to jump into a song by Prince. Mm -hmm. Tell me about it. So Little Red Corvette, I mean, it's hard picking a favourite Prince song. Um, It's like picking a favourite kid when you have like 40 kids. (laughs) Um, This is kind of the song I... When I first came into listening to Prince, um, I think I bought it like a CD for $2.00 at Berkeley Books in Leichhardt and I bought Controversy and I was like, wow, this is really amazing and kind of left it alone for a few years and then came back and really got into all of the 1999, um, Purple Rain, Prince Prince, all those ones and I think this was the song that grabbed me the most obsessively for ages. On FBI Radio 94.5, this is Little Red Corvette by Prince and this one comes with a language warning. I guess I should know. Try to tame your little red love machine 
That was Little Red Corvette by Prince on FBI Radio 94.5. It was a selection by my guest on Out of the Box, Donnie Benet. Just before, we were talking about Donnie Benet as a moniker created by who you actually are, Ben Waples. Mm-hmm. Where did Ben Waples grow up? <laughs> I grew up in um, a small town in Southern Highlands called Burrowing. lived across the road from the pub. It was great and it was a really shitty place. So every time we go back there to visit the pub, we get really nostalgic and go, this is a really nice place. Then we realize how bad a time we had there, and then we get really cranky and leave. So, <laughs> What made your time there bad? It was in- in- interesting. Like, um, So I'm half Italian, if you don't know that. And uh, my mum, mother's family is from Calabria. So mum's more of a darker um, skin color. So we moved into like the widest of white town. Um in New South Wales and it was like a weird little village and we'd have these guys come over and like try and pick fights with my dad it was it was a really weird place to be but the good thing was we we're in the middle of nowhere I've got two brothers that are musicians so um and my dad is obviously as well and he we spent a lot of time just around music um some of the songs I chose we used to be kids and fixing our bikes and dad would be out in the shed doing stuff and he had all these tapes of soul music and 60s rock and so that was kind of my upbringing in music. And then he'd arrange them and we had a little like family band that we'd, after dinner, one or two nights a week, we'd kind of jam, which was cool. And it's very, um, you don't realise realize at the time, but as time goes on, it's like, wow, that was like really formative in, in my love and also like experimenting and then wanting to be a performer um, in music. And we also played, all f- four of us played piano so every morning at 6.30, there'd be three pianos practicing in the main street, which pissed everyone off. So your dad was a music teacher, mm-hmm. and he was the person who first got you into the bass guitar, didn't he? Yep. Um, I played trumpet. We all had our secondary instruments. They had like a room full of instruments, saxophones, some guitars, tr- uh, flutes, clarinets. Um, they So I had to go to accordion and trumpet for a while. It didn't really work. And then dad brought home a bass for a guitar from one of the schools he taught at. I think I played it once and I don't remember it. And then next minute he bought a guitar from Wollongong, a bass, a brand new bass from Wollongong from the music shop. And I didn't really do anything. It just sat on the hall stand 
and I could see the price, $440. Every time I'd walk past it, I'd feel really guilty because we didn't have a lot of money and $400 was a shitload of money. So I was like, I guess I better, you know, this is, they bought it for me. I better work out how to play it. And, um, so you start playing out of guilt almost. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all, all like playing music and then dad also brought home some videos and these are very like, this is a very pivotal moment for me. He brought home these, um, videos from school of an English television uh, program called rock school. And they had like five episodes. One was reggae, blues, heavy metal, funk, and some, some other stuff. And so they're all okay, but the funk one had um, Larry Graham, who's from Sly, the bass player from Sly the Family Stone, who invented Slap Bass, Bootsy Collins, who's just Bootsy, and then Nile Rodgers and Bernard Edwards from Chic. And they were interviewing them, they were talking about how they, and it was incredible. I'd never seen, never heard music like this, and the ability to see how they were doing it. So prior to that, playing bass was pretty boring. Like you play, you know, Ding, 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 ding. That, that's that's majority of most rock songs. Seeing Larry Graham and Bootsy Collins play slap bass, I was just like, what the hell is this? And that Christmas of year six, dad, mum and dad bought me a set of strings, brand new strings, which if to explain like um, to play slap bass, you've kind of got to strike the fingerboard and the string and it makes it click and it, it rings out. When you have new strings on a guitar, it makes it a lot easier and you get more sustain and more attack and a clearer tone. So... As soon as I put these new strings on, it was like, oh, that's how you do it. It was like so easy. And then from that moment on, I, like I went into high school um, with so much self-esteem playing music and it, it made me happy. And from basically year seven, that's all I wanted to do was to play music. And then after high school, you moved to Sydney. Mm -hmm. What was the reason for that? To get out of the Southern Highlands? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so just before I moved to, <clears throat> before I finished high school, I started playing the double bass. I started playing that at the beginning of high school and out of just no choice, just a teacher gave it to me and said, work out how to play this. And um, I had a really good uh, jazz band conductor come in just for a year or two. Um, he used to play in a band, well, he's, he still plays, but he was in Galapagos Duck for a period and he was just an amazing, like it was the first piano player I'd seen that just sounded like Herbie Hancock and he was, he was really inspirational and he... Um, took us under his wing and gave us gigs and just said, look, you need to get lessons if you want to get better. So I had a choice of, uh, and he said, go to see, go and see a classical double bass teacher. And I wish he hadn't because <laughs> the eventually, eventually the teacher I went to when I studied jazz, I learned more in one hour than I did with two years with this other guy. He was a nice guy. just, it wasn't the right thing. But that moment, the good thing about catching the train to Sydney every week was I would go to the record shops, um, in Pitt Street. So Lawson's and all those secondhand ones. And just, I had, if I ran from the station, I had 10 minutes. I just grabbed everything that you work out at a time period, a record label, you know, like a CTI meant that they were kind of jazz funk. I grabbed all those and so then I discovered all the Herbie Hancock funk, Jacob Pistorius, um, all funk fusion. So then when I found out there was, you could study jazz in Sydney, I was like, oh, you're going to play that kind of music. It's like, great. It was completely the opposite. <laughs> when I got there, I was like, oh, this is really stuffy. And um, and I was also probably the worst student there. Um, it was a pretty hard course to get into. I, I only scraped in because my older brother was there and the double bass teacher I got a lesson with and he worked out that I had perfect pitch and he did as well. So he could see that potential. So, yeah, I started 
at the bottom and um, had to work up. But yeah, the music was mainly bebop and I hated it. <laughs> so. so you're in that environment learning what you've called like a stifling form of jazz. Were you were you performing outside of school at all? Were you doing anything for work? Yeah, I was, yeah. so as soon as you went to the con, um, when you're a double bass player, you're like the most indispensable member of jazz. <laughs> so um, you get, there's very few people play the instrument, so you get so many performance opportunities. And if you become good at it, you basically get all the performance opportunities. <laughs> Eventually, I ended up playing with Lawrence Pike, the incredible drummer, and he was friends with another guy at the uni, Adrian Clumpus, and they wanted to start, um, Lawrence wanted to start jazz piano trio that improvised with live loops and so they asked me and this band Triosk was formed but that was an amazing that was a band I was in we were we were together for five seven years seven years yeah we did like three releases two world tours it was unbelievable and that was a I think I learnt about improvising from that band um you improvise like there's this weird thing when you before you study music, like when I was in high school, there was this pure, like, unadulterated joy of just having no idea what you're doing and just enjoying music. Then you study music, you analyze everything, and you hate it. Um, you don't hate it, but you, like, you, you just you develop tastes and, like, oh, I don't like that, you know. And so Trios was a band where that didn't exist. Um, you could change the direction of everything by playing one note. And it was this incredible, you know, you play with a few ensembles or musicians in your, in your career that really stand out in this band both adrian the pianist and myself have perfect pitch and lawrence the drummer we have a rhythmic thing where we can we could play in different time meters and still know where each other were so there was this band with endless possibilities and it was just yeah it broke up but <laughs> yeah and, and like a phoenix from the flames donny benet's born from that yeah, demise almost exactly <laughs> and so it, it was it was yeah it's funny um it would be the exact opposite of what I ever thought. And so this really weird thing, when I played Donnie, so I had this long, this 10-year career of being a jazz musician, climbed all the jazz mountains, ticked the boxes, got some, you know, I, I guess the jazz pinnacle was playing the National Jazz Awards. I, I got second place. <laughs> but um, which it was, it's like a really difficult thing. To, like, it's a good thing. And it was great. Like, I learned so much. But I think the... Um, I played with this amazing singer, this guy who's still singing and he's incredible. He's like our Australia's, I think I always place him and Sarah Blasco as having the best voices. This guy called Vince Jones. Um, they just have natural voices and his band was like the Australian cricket team of bands. It's like when you get in that, you know, there's the cream of the crop. And he said something to my younger brother filled in once and he was saying to James, oh, you know, and he, he speaks like this. He's like, yeah, James, you got to play with kind of play with an audience your own age and that kind of stuck out a little bit but then I remember just starting to I was getting itchy to do Donnie and we'd be playing gigs and uh, the, you know the crowd was like in their mid 50s and I'm like oh this is and I was 20 25 26 so I'm like this is not the future for me I've got a kind of and jazz has that it was has that kind of you know you're, you are playing for older audiences unfortunately um and I was starting to really not enjoy playing music um and I started having these like 
what's the word fantasies of like jumping off stage while we're playing and like what would it be like if I run off stage like it would ruin because my whole career was based around being a jazz musician and it would kill my career so then when it came time to play the first Donny gig I ever did was at Good God and there was this beautiful feeling where first 20 seconds I was thinking I can run off stage and no one knows who I am and no one like it will have no impact on me I can go back to being a jazz musician and all that or I can stay 21 seconds and then see what happens so it was this beautiful the feeling I had of um a teenager of like the innocence and and like just pure unadulterated joy had come back so I, I was enjoying playing music again which I think was really cool and that was like so there was years of balancing moonlighting being a jazz musician and then starting to kind of creep out Donnie to the point where the worlds collided and here we are now. <laughs> and in a few minutes time I do want to talk about the collision between those worlds because mm-hmm. there is still a little bit of jazz at play there. Mm-hmm. But first I want to jump into a song mm-hmm. by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> Why did you choose this one? The Guilty Pleasure. Anytime we do a sound check or something we'll play a chili song. Um, I think we were playing High Ground the other day before we rehearsed some shows. But at the time, to rewind all of that, um, being, you know, a teenager going to high school, learning about funk, about Larry Graham and Bootsy Collins and James Brown. And then it was cool, but it was like very detached. Like it was impossible to find that music anywhere. Uh, I couldn't go to the CD shop and buy a Bootsy Collins record. Like even if I went to Sydney, it was impossible to find. So all of a sudden, I, a friend um, gave me, had another friend that had all the chilies, and he, uh, I taped a few on cassette, and I was like, what the hell? So I'm hearing Fleas playing slap funk bass, and you know, all the early Chili Peppers albums, I mean, they're huge Parliament funk Bootsy fans, and you know, having George Clinton produce all their albums, so that sound is there, and it's accessible, and then also kids my own age liked it, so... If I got up and played in the school assembly and we play a chili song, everyone would just lose their shit. So I have to give credit, and every bass player that's around my age, we you know we have to tip the hat to Flea. Um, so it's my guilty pleasure. It's the Red Hot Chili Peppers on Out of the Box. This is Blood Sugar Sex Magic.
are listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5. That song was chosen by my guest on the show, Donnie Benet. It was Blood Sugar Sex Magic by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, the one and only. Donnie, in 2017, you were playing a show at the Golden Age Cinema in Sydney. Mm-hmm. My friends and I came to that show expecting what we'd seen in the Donnie Benet <laughs> Festival set, which was, you know, this ironic, shimmering yeah. 80s, yeah. glamorous disco. You came to Don Jealous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we arrived at this room where the audience was all sitting down. You were up on stage with all these synths. You're making these big, beautiful soundscapes. And, mm-hmm. you know, everyone sitting down was sipping wine and they were talking about the different nuances that inform your sound and... I think that anecdote really speaks for your music and the way that you kind of straddle this line between being really ironic, Mm -hmm. but then also being really sincere and taking Mm -hmm. music seriously. And I want to know, how do you grapple with those two roles, you know, the humour and then Mm -hmm. being a dedicated musician? Because that was so strange. (laughs) (laughs) It was. I walked away from it going, oh, like for me, it was something, um, that particular gig, actually, I was thinking about that the other day. Um, it was the improvising I used to do that I with trios that really missed, and uh, I took a chance, and I probably shouldn't have. And I was, you know, to, to be fair, I did write on the gig um, promo. Don't expect any Donny songs, but um, it was still weird. I, I weirded a lot of people out, and it's fine. It didn't kill my career. I mean, I hope it didn't. Um, to your question, there's the humour and the serious musicianship. So, with the music, I I always think about that. I have to be the person performing it night after night um and then in a more i guess uh, monetized business sense i'm investing um in that so whether i'm doing a record um doing a tour so i've got to be happy doing what i'm doing all the time and so that was like and that was a liberating thing about doing my own music was i had control of the music that was played so you yeah you want to be happy playing the music um but then also and i was thinking of this because I'm writing it again for the next album and it's all coming out very different like we've all had a very unique experience in 2020 um to the point where the music even I'm writing now is a bit is a bit more introspective and uh and there's you know there's true like Mr. Experience has been an interesting one because that was I haven't said that I didn't really say this much in the um the initial press interviews and things but it was a really 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 difficult period of um life for my family um so i really had to dig deep and think the first thing is like would i enjoy playing this every night the added component for this time was um uh, is this uh with everything going on is this real is this bullshit so but yeah it's 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 an interesting thing at the moment because i'm like part of donny the the thing i think people like about donny is that it makes them feel good and they have fun and that's like and it's not like a fun like oh we do it because it's fun it's like people generally go and have some form of escapism which as an artist is if you can succeed at doing that um if you can get people to forget about their insecurities or boredom in their life and that's like a huge thing so I like the idea of it's like watching a really good com- like watching a really good comedy film like the acting's amazing the shot world everything's good about it but you just completely piss yourself laughing over it and that's like for me that's a even though you know it's a comedy it's still a piece of art like you you're getting you're getting the escapism yeah so it's it's and it's because I always get like the 80s question like I did an interview the other day and they're like oh so 
what do you think about the whole 80s thing? I'm like, oh, well, you know, there's, we, we, you play music you like. So like some people like playing um, blues, some people like playing metal, some people like playing grunge. Like um, for, it's, for me, the same feeling, I guess, people 10 years younger than, or 20 years younger than myself get when they see me perform and be like, wow, that's like music I grew up with. It's really funny for me now to see bands that are sounding like 90s grunge bands. So I'm like, why would you do that? That was terrible in the day. Like, <laughs> not terrible, but um, so it's like, you, you kind of, but something draws you to that type of music. Um, and so like for me, the music I make, the instrumentation and the musicality is, sorry, the musicality is a very important factor. Like that I, I'm a bass player. So I like music that's has a very big, uh, f- rhythms are really important part of it. Um, so there's the drum patterns that I like, the certain drum sounds, um, things like that. And then synthesizers are a particular sound, whether they're in ambient music or in funk music or in pop music. So it's like, it's a nice palette to, to begin with, to express the ideas you have. And the humor thing is like, again, like if I was to make a film, I'd probably like to make comedy films, but yeah, I mean, I'm really lucky. Like I've got a great recording studio at home. I've got great equipment. Um, I just, is this Donnyland that this you're talking Land. about? Yep, this yeah. is Donnyland. Please tell me more about Donnyland. Oh, Donnyland's great. Um, it was the fictitious studio my father owned, but it was actually um, uh, the garage of my house. Um, and it's pretty cool. Like, it was tiny and then it got made bigger. I had a friend help me. We built a room within a room. And then in COVID, um, I got a set of drums and an electric, and then a an old portable grand piano. There's an instrument called the Yamaha CP70, which is like on Billy Joel, like it's every 70s and 80s live pop recording is this piano. And it's just paradise. Um, so at the moment I'm writing, because I'm not traveling anywhere, my day job is like nine to five is writing music, which is just a dream come true for me. So on one aspect, taking away the lack of performance aspect of COVID, I'm doing well. It's, it's having a good time. Donnie, you were talking about your album Mr. Experience before and, you know, some of the hardships that had informed that album. Can you tell me, you know, what, what was the thought process behind making it? The whole touring in 2018 to Europe thing started when there was unfortunately the beginning of a family illness. And um, so it was a really, um, and I also had my first child who was, I was leaving him just after his first birthday. <laughs> it was so hard. <laughs> So there was like the excitement of, of being a, a parent and then also this, all this other crazy stuff going on. And so then there was 2018, 2019 was just filled with like, I'd come home, be away for a month, be home for two months and away for another month. So I'd come home, I'd be on tour and the tours were grueling. Um, they were fun, but you know, so I'd complete these tours, come home and kind of um, not be, there was no like opportunity, not opportunity, but it, it wasn't, the right thing to kind of there was so much other shit going on that was just just horrible and 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 you know like you talk about living in the moment and that was really living in the moment so there was no respite or let up from all of this and then having to go away and I guess the professional training I've had as being a musician like you when you're on stage you detach from everything else and like the trick with touring is when you're on stage you forget about the eight-hour trip you've done to get there, and for a moment you're just completely, you know, relaxed, and it's almost like the time you look forward to to relax and, and not rest, but take a breather. 
Um, so there was all all that and trying to come back and, and write something. And then, so I, I kind of, it wasn't writer's block at all. It was just, you'd come home, chill out for a few weeks, like wind down and kind of take stock of what was happening and then try and work again. And you'd maybe get three weeks of work and then have to drop everything and start again. Um, so it was, there was that, uh, the songs, I had, you had to take like a, a I took my normal bus- business like approach of you write and then, you know, you have like, I think for each album, I usually write 30 songs and 10 of them are good. Um, and the other ones, they're not terrible, but they're not, you, you ask yourself, would you listen to this song or would you want to play this song? And it's like, no. So that was okay. I think the lyrical content was tricky. Having a kid, I think the thing that played more was having um, a child and I guess the Casanova Italian, sleazy Italian guy approach wouldn't work, wouldn't work as much. And then also coupled with everything else going on was like, well, it's still part of my personality. Like I'm still a cheeky, you know, daggy, cheesy guy. Um, but not, wasn't that person at that time while that was happening. So kind of had to dig deep and with the stuff I'm doing now, I'm also wanting to take, take it back a gear again. Um, not slow down, but I guess after the year we've had with 2020 and, you know, being inside, we've had a lot of time to think and it's again, like, coming out of the gate and doing a high energy album, it could be really amazing, but also could just seem really inappropriate as well. Like for me at the moment, it seems that. So I think a lot of people are in that space and I'm really interested to see yeah. what music is coming out from everyone this year, yeah. you know, because it's, it's, it's interesting. COVID, it's like we've all been through something at the same time. Yeah. Like no one is ready to really no. jump straight back in. Um, and we're also a year ahead of every, of every other country. So like they're, yeah. they're sinking, everywhere else is sinking deeper and deeper. So, you know, the sun's starting to shine for Australia, but <laughs> a bit tricky everywhere else. What's the next song you've chosen today, Donny? Ah, uh, The Lifesaver. So um, a few years ago, just I think life was getting, was that transition to like, you're much younger than I am. So you're not 30 yet, are you? No. <laughs> I think so. So like this is a cool thing I experienced. It's all my friends experienced. Like when you turn 30, that's like, it's been my favorite age. Like there's everything is, nothing is impossible. Like, you know, you want to build, you want to build a house out of Coke cans. You can do it. You want to be a Shakespearean actor, do it. Like you're just like, ah, oh, screw it. I'm going to do this. So that's amazing. Then you get like mid thirties and you're like, oh shit, what, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Like this is kind of, you know, the last train's leaving. And I think that period was a lot of, a bit of that as well. Um, and I found this random block. I don't know why I was, I was looking for you. I think I was in a musical hole. It would have been it. Um, the music, musical wilderness sucks. Like when you don't know what to listen to and you're like, oh, there's no good music. And that's bullshit. Cause there's always great music. It's just, you're not receptive to it so I just typed in like music blog and and this blog came up called listen to this and this I typed in the city pop thing that's right I did like Japanese city pop blog and this came up and so this this blog has a lot of Japanese city pop Japanese ambient German ambient like it's just unbelievable and it's weird because nobody does blogs and it's still going and I had this really cool thing where like you'd have the YouTube link and everything was out of print pretty much so you could then download it which was fine like 
the song I'm going to play from this record, I think there's only a few CDs left and they're like a thousand dollars a CD. So I found this artist, um, found all this jam- Japanese ambient stuff, and then one album um, by this um, Hiroshi Yoshimura, ah, Soundscape One Surround, that's it. And it's like a easy listening ambient kind of. He did a lot of work for sound installations. Um, anytime there's any stress in my life, which is basically every time I jump on a plane, I put this on as soon as I sit down. I've got Hiroshi playing, and um, a friend of mine the other day, he when we flew, like it was bizarre flying for the first time in a year to Adelaide. So I played this when I sat down, and my friend sent me a picture. He was listening to it as well. It's just a beautiful album. Um, I highly recommend. When I still do a little bit of teaching, and my students that are going to Year Twelve, I give them this album. Like, just put this album on. Go to this, you know, check out these kind of artists. But you know, it's not not to play it, just to it'll just help you. So, I highly recommend everybody download this album if they can. Um, Soundscape, it's around. And the track we're going to play is called "Time After Time" by Hiroshi Yoshimura. Stay tuned. You're on FBI Radio.
You are listening to FBI Radio 94.5 DAB or streaming online. That was Time After Time by Hiroshi Yoshimura. Donnie, your album dropped in May. That was right in the guts mm-hmm. of COVID. How did that impact, you know, your ability to release the album and <laughs> tour it? What, what did you do? Oh, well, first of all, I'm really glad to release it last year. I just had an inkling that it wouldn't be over this year. It's a bizarre time, but um, that there's, there's artists not releasing music. So I'd built, did, done all that crazy touring, written this album that was emotionally hard, and I was like, no, we're going to go for it. Um, and I just, social media is um, my friend and foe. It's becoming more of a horrible thing with everyone, but something I think I've utilised really well in my career with Donny Benet, and I just worked it. Um, I, it was so close. When was it? Like the album was May, and then everything shut down March. So, from I think every week I did a live streaming on Instagram called the D Zone, and I had all these really ambitious ideas at the beginning, like oh I'll do like a cooking segment, and like in my head, and it's just like I'll do a cooking segment, I like interview people on the phone, all this kind of stuff. And after the first one, it was like it's just too hard. I'm just gonna um, perform songs, <laughs> and and like answer questions on that get written on the screen and then um and the moment that the touring stopped i spoke to my friend alex smith the director and he's shot um Konnichiwa, uh, girl of my dreams second dinner and the edge with kieran um so he's and i said i want to record the album live so it took ages to work out and we just started rehearsing the new with the band for the new we we're going to do some touring so we had one rehearsal and then it got shut down. Literally the day they ScoMo told everybody to get out of the doona, um, I was on the email to the band saying, look, um, we're going to start rehearsing and we're going to film um, a live concert of this and this is going to be for the European American audiences. And you know, I thought I'd be playing in Australia. You know, We thought it'd be over sooner. So I was like, oh, it's okay. I'll do it for the Europeans and the Americans. And um, yeah, we re- it was took ages because we weren't doing shows. So there was no momentum built up to let the songs take on a life of their own. We recorded it at Mary's Underground, which is the, the old basement. But um, yeah, we ended, we've got, and then we put it out last week, or the week before, it's just up on YouTube now. Um, there's a live, the first live performance of Mr. Experience. And it was so hard to do. Um, the timed, time limits were just so insane. We had two hours to record the film and then we were getting an audience to come in. And I was like, oh, I'll be fine. You know, 
we've rehearsed for two months. The band sounds hot. The second song, somebody made a mistake, and then it just just spread. <laughs> like everybody started getting nervous and tentative. Mm. And um, yeah, it was, uh, we finished filming without an audience, and we're like, wow, this is not like good. And then we had an audience come in, and it was amazing. Like we'd only not been playing; it was July, so it had been like five months, six months, and it was the most liberating, incredible feeling to play music in front of people. And that was we ended up using that whole show. So um, yeah, it was cool. I'm really glad we did it. Um, and that's available on YouTube. Did you say? Yeah, it's, you can watch it as many times wherever you want. Amazing. It's, yeah, it's just it's just <laughs> out there and. Um, there was so much work went into it. It was unbelievable, like, um, through the band, through Alex, the director, through my management, just going back, like, it was just, just working out my label, like, working out the best way of doing it. And, like, it was all, it was the Wild West, like, the whole streaming thing, like, nobody, know, they still don't know how it works. Um, I'll pop the link to that one up in the programs page mm-hmm. on com because... Your upcoming show at Oxford Arts Factory is unfortunately sold out. Mm-hmm. A lot of us have missed out. But can you give us anything to look forward to? Are you working on anything in the future? Oh, yeah, heaps of stuff. I reckon we're going to do another run of shows towards the end of the year. Um, hopefully restrictions will ease a bit more, um, especially in Sydney. Um, Melbourne, we're lucky because we can play. In Melbourne and Brisbane, we're lucky we can play for bigger audiences. Um Sydney's just Sydney. I don't know. You can't gamble on music, so there's no. <laughs> but there's that. Yeah, we're hopefully doing that. Um, I'm always working on music. I've got. There's a few things that will pop up. Just check in on my social media Watch and see, this what, space. <laughs> see what nonsense I'm up to. Amazing. Donnie Benet, thank you so much for joining me today on Out of the Box. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, Mia. What song would you like to end on? Um, it's from. That live Serge Gainsbourg album, which is called Le Zenith de Gainsbourg. It's a classic album. Um, I think they had a residency there at these venues and they'd play two or three shows a day for like two months. And um, Serge is like, he, he, he wouldn't do well today, but he's um, certainly attitude and character that, that, that I'm enjoying at the moment. So, yeah, I can't pronounce it, but. Here it is. (laughs) Here it is. It's Serge Gainsbourg on FBI Radio 94.5. You've been listening to Out of the Box, but don't go anywhere. Brie Kennedy is up right around the corner for lunch. Thanks. Bye.
jour où je me mise avec elle, je perdis à peu près tout. Mon job, la feuille de chou, un scandale qui me donnait le biftec. J'étais fini, foutu, échec, et mat aux yeux de Marilou. Comme un blanc bec, elle me rendait moitié coucou. Oh non, tu peux pas savoir, mec. Il fallait les discothèques et bouffer au kangourou club. Alors je signais des chèques sans provision, j'étais fou, fou. À la fin, j'ai fait le caillou comme un melon, une pastèque. Mais maman. Je vais pas tout déballer comme ça, aussi sec. Quoi, moi De mes rencontres Des clous. Qui et où suis-je Chou, ici ou Dans la blanche écume, Varek sur la plage de Malibu. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com/podcasts.